Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find it right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com, spelled S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are Flying, dot com. And when you enter your email, you'll also be added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm really happy to have as my guest, Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan is a psychotherapist and a best-selling author of 12 books, including More Love, Less Conflict. And he's been a frequent guest on Oprah and CNN, and his work's been featured in USA Today and Newsweek Magazine. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you, Sumati. I'm very happy to be here. I, ha- I think I pronounced your name wrong. You, no, you did. Sumati is right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. We went over that. You did really good. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, Jonathan, I met you um, a month ago or so at a retreat, and when we parted ways, you gave me a very interesting gift, information exchange process. And you had listed all these things that you have some degree of expertise in and offered to exchange with me around things I have expertise in. But your list was so long, everything from uh, training pets, training dogs, to knowing God. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, well, I think the only thing left for me to teach him is how to shoot a good hook shot in a game of basketball. Uh So, are you interested in learning how to shoot a good hook shot, Jonathan? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. I found something then. Great. So, I I referred to you, one of our mutual friends, as an achievement junkie. <laughs> so, you've been on Oprah multiple times. You have all these best-selling books. You've interviewed the Dalai Lama and Wayne Dyer and all these people um, what what is like? Would you say is your number one reason why you've been able to have so many accomplishments in your life? Well, clarity as to what's really important. You know, uh, my dad was very very smart, and I got some of his smarts, but I used it to realize, you know, what's really important in life is love, peace, and happiness, and I didn't have any of them as a kid. So I made it a like, personal mission to find the best approaches to actually experiencing love, peace, and happiness in my life. And part of that involved interviewing literally 100 experts in those fields and finding out what they did and how I can integrate into my own life. And then as I wrote about those things, uh, luckily Oprah liked my first four books, so I got on her show. Thank you. That's really great. I love your answer. (laughs) So um, my show focuses on open relationships, polyamory, uh, communication, and all kinds of relationship skills. And um, that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half is interviewing people about that. So I feel like I've gotten really good at that, too, from talking Mm -hmm. about it so much. So I'm just relating to what you said. If you interview other people that do it right and talk about it a lot and focus on it, you strengthen your skills in that area. So that that's 
that resonates with me a lot. Um, but let's talk about open relationship. Um, I, the event where I met you is also a, a sex positive, a lot of polyamorous people, a lot of um, people that practice free love. So are you willing to share with our audience what is your practice of relationship? Are you, what do you call yourself? Um, how did you get into uh, uh, alternative relationships? And what, what is your practice these days? Well, I've been married 20 years, and about seven years ago, my wife said that uh, she was interested in opening up our relationship, which struck me a little bit as a surprise, but she had watched um, the show Married and Dating, which was on Showtime about uh, mm-hmm. uh, our friend now, Kamala Devi, who had a right. open relationship, and Kamala Devi was a friend of mine. That's how we got to watch the show, and I found it very interesting. Uh, I've always been very focused on spiritual growth, and I asked Kamala Devi why she was Polly, and she said, well, I think life is really about learning to love better, and nothing will show you the obstacles to love quicker than polyamory. And by seeing those obstacles and working through them, you become a more loving human being. Well, that really struck me, and so... Uh, my wife and I knew enough about it to know that it was not an easy thing. And I really respect what you're doing where you're coaching people. And I said, hey, if we're going to do this, let's hire a coach. So we hired Kamala Devi (laughs) to coach us Uh the first year. And that made a big difference because I think people often go into it blindly and they end up experiencing polyagony instead of polyamory. And mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely a learning curve involved. Mhm. Right. Yeah, and she just announced that the show is going to be rerun again on Showtime pretty soon. Oh, great. So that's exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's also going to be one of a speaker on an online speaker conference I'm putting on. So that's great. <laughs> She's become a good friend and, and, you know, a a very loving presence. She does it well. And I'm sure you do this in your coaching practice. There's just a lot of distinctions that a lot of misinformation or misconceptions people have. And uh, my wife and I had to learn, you know, some of those things and, and make the mistakes. But at least we were kind of attuned because we had had some coaching and, um, I think if you're just trying to get free sex or free love, uh, it's it does not generally go well. But if you understand how it how it works, and if you go in there trying to learn about yourself and see your own obstacles, then it's quite an adventure and and very effective. Mm-hmm. And have you found that the pra- so do you consider yourself polyamorous or? non-monogamous do you have a a label that you use or do you prefer not to use a label uh i i'm okay with labels i i would say you know polyamorous uh uh, with a primary partner and Mm -hmm, um you know it's it's life is very much a verb and so is love and so Mm -hmm. it's always changing a little bit but Mm -hmm. uh for the last seven years both my wife and i have uh, maintained a, a really good relationship while uh, dating other people, sometimes casually, sometimes very intensely. Mm-hmm. 
And ha- what are some of the lessons you've learned from being polyamorous around um, being a more loving person, being a more spiritual person? What are some of the, the deepest growth lessons you've gotten from that practice? Well, one of the things you learn is how little emotional control you have and how impure your love is. You know, it seems like you'd want the person you love to be happy, but a large part of us is kind of uh, very tribal and very, you know, can get jealous. So learning, Mm -hmm. I've learned to let go of jealousy really well. I've learned to Mm -hmm. let go of uh, and admit my neediness and, and say what I need. I've learned to communicate a lot better. I've learned to um, be more vulnerable and also to really love more than one person. So there's a lot of learnings. I've also learned some hard lessons like, you know, date your species, which means mm-hmm. try to date people who are similar to you, whether they be married or they understand poly. I did have a girlfriend for a year and a half that really was not poly, and and she wanted to be monogamous with me, and that didn't work out, and that was mm-hmm. one lesson. So, you know, you, you learn that transparency, uh, being honest, being vulnerable, being giving are things that actually are necessary. And I like that because <laughs> sometimes those things are hard to come by unless, you know, you mm-hmm. are, you're in the sink or swim position. Right. Right. Well, thank you. Um, so I want to talk about uh, moving through jealousy a little bit later. So, but for now I want to uh, bring up some of the books you've written around relationship and communication. Um, but mm-hmm. first, can you tell us, why should people invest time and energy in improving their communication skills? Why is that important? Well, I think that we communicate all the time, but most of us have not even taken an hour class in it. You know, in the happiness research, they say that the most important thing is the quality of your relationships. And the quality of your relationships is largely based on your communication. So Mm -hmm. most people... I communicate with have haven't had any training and you really see it, you know, they don't get along with certain people or they, they aren't fully honest or vulnerable. They don't have a hard, they have a hard time getting intimate conversations. And I used to be like that. And I realized that, you know, love is really important. Intimacy is important. And the key to that is communication. So I find a very learnable skill. You can literally learn it. You can get a hundred percent better in two hours you know, and mm-hmm. get really good. So for me, it's like a superpower because wherever I go, I create intimate connections. And that's just become like habit now. But, you know, 20 years ago, uh, that was certainly not the case. So it's a pretty amazing skill. And and I'm really glad that I took some time to learn that skill and, and you know, wrote books about it. Well, I saw that was one of your... Um, areas of expertise on the list that you gave me was how to create quick rapport with people. Can you give Mm -hmm. us the cliff notes of that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I teach an eight hour class on that. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I think that's important for people that want to date and want to meet other polyamorous folks. Um, It's a good skill to have. So 
if there's a way you can uh, condense it into a elevator speech. <laughs> I will I will condense my eight hour class into ninety seconds or so. Okay. So hold on. Uh, uh, one thing to do is is to realize that people really like talking about themselves. So it's not that you have to be so impressive. You just have to show interest. And if you show interest and you're really present and you listen, you'll create a good impression. Also, uh, smiling and saying appreciations. Often uh, when I meet somebody, I'll say something I've noticed about you. Well, I could say it with you. Uh, something I've noticed about you, Sumati, uh, Sumati, is that you are very curious and you're very kind and you're willing to be very honest. Those are things that came out very quickly in our connection. And uh, I'm already thinking that. I, I'm not I'm not BSing you. I'm, I'm already thinking that. I might as well say it. And when we say those things, mm-hmm. that helps to create connection. And people like vulnerability, too. You know, if you look at the word intimacy, it has the instructions in it, into me see. Uh, so when you reveal stuff about yourself, that helps to form a connection. And just knowing that if you ask good questions, like what's really important to you in life, or or how how did you get so good at that, or questions like that, that people really respond and want to connect because everybody nowadays wants to be understood and everybody wants empathy. Mm. And if you show those things, uh, people want to connect with you. Mm. So by giving what you want to receive, you're more likely to receive it. Yeah, yeah. You you condensed yeah. my eight-hour class into 15 seconds, so that's even better. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was excellent. <laughs> so I'm curious about your book, More Love, Less Conflict. Is that your most recent book? It is. Okay. And how is that book different from other books that are out there on relationships and communication and all that stuff? Well, I have one uh, very uh, fine trait, which I call laziness. And um you know, when, when you're in a relationship, you don't remember long theory or methods, but you can remember stuff that takes 10 seconds or less. So mm-hmm. what I tried to do is find the, the 40 best methods that can take 10 seconds or less that lead to more love and less conflict. And some of these I learned from Oprah, from, some from the Dalai Lama, some from my wife, some from other people I met. And they're really ingenious ways to really connect deeply you know it might be the question uh as simple as what's something that you found hard to say to me and would you be willing to say it you know that can create (laughs) some intimacy or saying something Mm -hmm. i noticed about you i appreciate is or all these different things you know my wife and i used to argue a lot and we haven't had an argument in over seven years because we came up with a method that takes five seconds to do and oh, you'll have to share that thi- with us. <laughs> sure. Little things can make a big difference that way. And uh, if you have the best technologies, you can create magic really with anyone, especially your partner. Mm-hmm. But to avoid arguments, whenever my wife and I get a little bit upset and we're starting to move towards uh, uh, upset, we say the words yellow light. 
and that is a signal that we have to take a two-minute time out and be quiet mm-hmm. and calm down, and mm-hmm. we do, and when we do that, we then change the direction of our communication and get back to a place of love rather than going with a momentum of upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did that take some time, or was it hard to do in the beginning? Yeah, it's hard to do maybe the first couple times. So we said every word we say after yellow light uh, costs us a dollar. So um, <laughs> I, I blew it the first time. And I had to pay 20 bucks, uh, but I've never <laughs> blown it again. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I also agree. I think the time out, my partner and I had the um, just the, the T symbol with our hands so that we didn't even have to speak. (laughs) We just made that symbol and that meant no more talking because anything we say after this point, we might regret and can cause irreparable harm to the relationship. And not only that, but it just takes a lot of time to clean it up. It takes more time to clean it up later. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So that's, so, you know, the book um, has what I consider the greatest hits of communication techniques and, uh, I'm lazy, so I wanted all the best methods in one book so I could read it myself. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Um, so what you've interviewed Oprah and the Dalai Lama and Wayne Dyer and all these great people, um, what would you say makes them great communicators? Well, I'd say what really makes them a great communicator is how well they listen and the amount of mm empathy and understanding you know it's often been said whether you talk to oprah or bill clinton that when you talk to them you feel like they're you're the most important person they've met in decades you know they are so Mm. with you they get you and i think Mm. everybody wants that feeling of being fully understood not just intellectually but emotionally and with these great communicators that's the feeling you get Hmm. You know, just totally random, but I remember reading that about Hillary Clinton. So many people have, you know, she's a controversial figure. People love her or hate her. But everybody that worked with her said that about her, that she really listened, that they felt like she really got them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what we all want. I mean, in the case of Oprah, she was incredibly poor, uh, she was put in re- mentally retarded class at school, had uh, a stillborn child at age 14, and then 25 years later, she's the most loved person on the planet. You know, mm-hmm. I asked her, how did that happen? She said, well, I didn't have anything going for me, so I just vowed that I would show people that I care. And then she said, well, mm-hmm. it looks like that turned out pretty good. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. That's very cool. So um, can you share with us, quickly improve the quality of their relationship if there's people listening, couples or triads or morsums who are in conflict, um, what's something that, that they can do quickly to improve the quality of their relationship? Yeah, well, let's say in terms of a sexual relationship, just answer this question. What are three things that you, three specific things you really like in bed and what are three things that you really don't care for? You know, most people don't share that stuff, hoping their partner is psychic. 
but mm-hmm. it doesn't work so well that way. So being very specific, another thing you can do is say three things that trigger me in our relationship that I want you to be aware of so that you can sidestep your partner's triggers. Mm-hmm. And um, those are things that are very simple to communicate that can lead to years of, of more love and less conflict. Mm, beautiful. I see what you're saying about such simple techniques that, that are easy to remember so you can still be lazy and have great relationships. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, cause a lot of times people, because they don't know these methods, they spend hours in painful discussions where they're not really getting anywhere and it's very frustrating to both couples or both partners and it need not be that way if you communicate effectively you don't have to spend hours in these long drawn out discussions or arguments and and you can Mm -hmm. spend more time with the good stuff Mm -hmm. well when you talked about asking three things that you like sexually it reminded me of a talk i was listening to from dan savage recently and he was saying he got started being this gay guy writing a sex column in a straight newspaper because straight people assume that gay people know more about sex, have better sex, and have sex more often. And he said, I'm here to tell you that's true. <laughs> and he said, if there's, if there's one thing I want you to go away with, it's these four words to ask a lover, what are you into? He said straight people yeah. don't usually ask that. Once they decide to have sex, the conversation's over, and it's expected it's going to go a certain way. And he said, but gay folks say, what are you into? And they negotiate what types of practices they want. So um, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and very simple to do. It takes you know five minutes, and you have a better love life for the next decade. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> So you talk and about, the same thing. Um, this, the same ahead. thing goes for other things, like you know, uh, asking what asking what are you feeling, what are you wanting, you know, because mm-hmm. if you know what your partner wants specifically and what they're feeling, things go much better. You have an accurate map of what's going on. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. couples really don't know what their partner wants or what even they want because they haven't communicated it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we we sometimes expect our partner to be a mind reader. And I've been looking a lot at labels. That's why I asked you about labels in the beginning and how husband, wife, partner, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, all these labels come with this set of assumptions. Yeah. And we often don't take the time to ask for what we want or be specific about it because we just expect them because they have that title that they should do all these things. But the other person doesn't even know what those things are because they may have grown up in a different family that had different expectations of those titles. So sometimes we can get lazy when we have those titles. Yeah. So, you know, a a way around that is to maybe ask a question like, what are your expectations for our future? You know, if we're, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a woman that I'm now dating, and she asked a great question. What are your expectations if I say that we're dating now? And I thought that Mm -hmm. was a really good discussion. So Mm -hmm. it's really useful to be very direct in these ways, and it leads to more connection and more trust. 
And in relationships, the real currency is trust. Can I trust you mm-hmm. to listen to me? Can I trust you to be aware of what I like and don't like? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so you talk about communication miracles. Um, is, this, is that something different, or is this what you're talking about, asking these kinds of questions? Well, Communication Miracles for Couples was the name of a book that uh, I wrote 20 years ago or or 18 years ago, and it became a bestseller because Oprah said it was the best communication book ever written, which thank you, Oprah. (laughs) So um, what a communication miracle is, is, you know, I sometimes see couples in my office who've been arguing about the same thing for 20 years. And... Mm -hmm. Sometimes using simple methods, within five minutes, they're back to a place of love. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a miracle when you can take 20 years of animosity and erase it and get back to a place of love. So I think that the the concept of a communication miracle really comes down to any time you can go from separation to love quickly – then you're really doing something truly miraculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I read on your website that one of the quickest th- ways that you've found to help couples who have been arguing for a long time is to um, help each other feel understood and appreciated. Was that what you said? Yeah, and, and you know, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple, but most couples never do that. They focus mm-hmm. on blaming each other, thinking that I'm going to be the judge that pronounces one of them guilty and one innocent. I don't know about <laughs> right. you, but n- never once have I blamed my wife and told her all the things she's doing wrong, where she responded by saying, oh, yeah, I see what you're talking <laughs> about now. I'll have to change that. Never once, you know, so blame doesn't work. But we always think, like, if we could just show our partner how wrong they are, that they'll change. And, and eventually you start to see that that doesn't work. But what does work is understanding your partner and saying what you appreciate about them. And when they feel understood and gotten, then they will be able to do the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And I do think that feeling seen and understood is, such a, a primal human need and also something that's not met very much in our culture in general, even outside of our romantic relationships. And I think that's why the the process that we do at the retreat where I met you, the Zeg Forum, is one yeah. of the reasons why it's so effective is that people are feeling seen. Whether they're seen or not, they're feeling seen. So the whole rest of the group could be falling asleep or thinking about what they're going to have for lunch. But if the person feels seen, (laughs) they come away with some sort of transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and just as a personal note, one of the things that uh, I liked about you was uh, in one of our first interactions, you were vulnerable and you confronted me with something I did that was inconsiderate. And uh, I was very impressed with that, first of all, for your honesty Mm. and Mm. for your vulnerability. And that made me, you know, really respect you and and get you. And I think sometimes people think that 
when there's a conflict in a relationship, it's always bad. But sometimes through those types of little conflicts, we see if we can build trust with a person and we see if, mm-hmm. if, uh, if the relationship can grow some roots. And mm-hmm. uh, so thank you for, for your cur- courage with that. Yeah, well, I knew that you were a writer of relationships and communication, so I figured if you can't take my honesty, then, <laughs> then you're a then fraud. Then screw you. <laughs> right. You must be some kind of fraud. <laughs> right, right. But also it can weed people out. I mean, I've learned that from, um, you know, online dating in the past where you're meeting a lot of people and you have to tell them, like, well, I'm not really feeling enough of a romantic connection. You're a nice person and everything, but... Um, I'm not feeling enough, you know, of what I'm looking for on this platform. And if they say, oh, well, thank you for being honest, then I like them more. But if they if they get defensive and they put me down, then it's like, well, you just weeded yourself out, you know, by yeah, a right. very conversation that you couldn't even hear my truth. <laughs> yeah, you just proved my point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at SumatiSparks.com. We're speaking with Jonathan Jonathan Robinson, who's a psychotherapist and a best-selling author of 12 books. And um, we're talking about communication in relationships right now. And is there a simple technique that you can share to help a person deal with someone difficult or someone who's very upset uh, I know in NBC there's the whole put on your giraffe ears. <laughs> um, do you have something like that? Yeah, the the formula that I use is um, because, you know, being that I'm a guy and, and this stuff had to be learned, it wasn't natural for me. So I came up with very simple formulas. So the formula that helps guide me is the sentences, it sounds like blank, that must feel blank. So if somebody's very upset, I might say, it sounds like you're you're really um, feeling made wrong here and stressed out. That must feel really uh, difficult and, and uh, I don't know, it must be that you feel really frustrated now. So when mm-hmm. you feed back somebody's experience, when they feel like you understand them, that tends to immediately calm them down. So the formula, it mm-hmm. sounds like blank, and when I fill in that sentence, it's usually just summarizing their experience in three or four words or less. You know, if you watch mm-hmm. Oprah, she doesn't say, well, it sounds like, and then she goes on for, you know, five sentences. She says, it sounds like mm-hmm. you were put through the ringer. That must have been mm-hmm. really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And that's what somebody like Oprah or the Dalai Lama is doing. It's really simple, but people feel hurt. Sometimes she just, she just moans wow, or hmm, you know, it's not it's not long uh, repeating everything they say. And right. I find that when people feel that you care, then they start to care about what you have to say. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And I've heard that called the gift of the guest. So even mm-hmm. if you guess wrong, like that must feel, that that must make you feel angry. And angry may not be the right feeling for them, but at least it gave them something to bounce off of and they can come back and say, well, well, I'm not really angry. I'm just frustrated. So that helps them find what they're feeling and then they can discover what they need from that. So it's the gift of the guest. 
Good point. Yeah, uh, I find that the fact that you guessed makes them feel like at least you're trying and they will then Mm -hmm. uh, respond well and tell you what they are feeling if you guessed wrong. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's a great formula. Um, So let's talk, let's move on and talk about some of the other areas of your expertise besides dog training. (laughs) We we have 57 more to go. So how long is this interview? (laughs) So what's what's the the most interesting dog trick that you've ever trained a dog to do? <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, do, dogs have a lot to teach us in terms of love. And so it's uh-huh. not so much the tricks that I teach dogs, it's the tricks that they teach me. And um, Aww, that's very You know, sweet. the the uh the excitement of, of being greeted at the door, you know, uh mm-hmm, when you think mm-hmm. of it, dogs make their living through loving people. That's how they survive. And they, they have come up with some good tricks that really work with human beings. And, um, and I try to copy them whenever possible. (laughs) Like sniffing people's butts when you first meet them. (laughs) People love that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I haven't used that one, but um, you know, like enthusiastically greeting my wife when she comes home and giving her a hug. Yes. Yes. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> I do agree with you. I have a dog and they're they're um living in the moment and their unconditional love are extremely high spiritual qualities. Yeah, yeah. And they like to play. So, you know, relationships need to be fun and uh mm-hmm. dogs kind of get that that hey, let's play together, not not let's have mm-hmm. endless conversations about uh, our relationship. Yeah, and the lack of judgment. Like, if I leave my dog alone for a long time, she's very excited to see me when I get home. She's never once has said, "How dare you leave me for six hours?" <laughs> right, she's right. Just thrilled that I'm back. <laughs> yeah, that's we can learn a lot from that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move into your podcast called Awareness Explorers, and. Um, Maybe you can give us a brief uh, explanation of why should people explore awareness? Like, why did you make that your podcast topic? Well, when I interviewed these hundred spiritual leaders, um, I would ask them, what's your best advice for people to find peace, inner peace? And about 97 of these hundred people said to become aware of the background of awareness, which I didn't even really know what that was so much. Mm-hmm. But um, they all said that that is like the holy grail for finding inner peace and spiritual evolution. So as I got into that, I saw that there were a lot of methods for doing that that worked really, really well, and that these methods were pretty much unknown by almost everybody. So I decided I would make a podcast that explores these these methods and ideas uh, rather than just talk about them. And people could see for themselves, like, uh, hey, that method took 90 seconds. I went from stressed out to blissed out. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's really what the podcast is about, both interviewing teachers and revealing different ways of quickly – expanding your awareness 
and realizing awareness is really who we are and becoming stabilized in that place so that you can have a lot more peace and a lot more love in your life even when uh, the crap is hitting the fan. Well, I found a lot of resonance with that because I've been coaching people with jealousy, transforming jealousy into love, and one of the most profoundly useful techniques I've given them is not just asking who am I, but I heard you say this on one of your podcasts, but also asking the question, who am I? And Mm -hmm. that practice can allow us to tap into the unconditional love that we are, and jealousy becomes sort of silly at that point. So how how have you found that awareness practices can improve jealousy and um, the insecurity that comes from having multiple relationships for some people? Well, it does bring up different feelings in people, some of them difficult, and the problem is that we completely identify with them and we make stories out of them. And then the stories become poor me stories and we get all upset and we get lost in this pool of negative emotions. So being able to step out of your story and into the present in a very deep way to not identify with these, uh, some of these negative emotions and these triggers is an incredibly useful skill when you're practicing non-monogamy. Most people don't know these methods, so you have to teach it to them. And when they learn them, they then you know, become more like uh, Teflon. These things can fall off them much more quickly, or maybe they don't even get triggered. Like currently, my wife and I, when my wife dates people, I don't get jealous anymore. I used to, but you know, I practice these methods, and now um, I'm not jealous. I'm curious as to how things are going, and uh, and you know, sometimes happy for her if it's going well. But um, that's a great relief, and and it's because I don't get jealous. I'm not lost in that story. She and I have been able to build up more trust and more appreciation because you know not many people have that ability. Mm-hmm. So you really think that doing these awareness practices has been the the primary reason why you no longer experience much jealousy? I think so. Uh, you know, I think it's helpful to look at jealousy and and explore it a little bit and, and um, learn about yourself. But finding a good letting go method or a, let, a good way of uh, becoming more like Teflon that way has been really incredibly useful and has allowed me to be a happier person. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just watching a video of a triad today. Um, somebody did a, a mini documentary of uh, two men and a woman that live together in a polyamorous um, domestic partnership arrangement. And mm-hmm. the woman said, the worst thing about jealousy is pretending you're not jealous. You've got to speak up and work it through. So it gives you a chance to grow. So how do you jive that with becoming more Teflon? <laughs> or is it just being in different stages in your growth? Well, the first step of any practice, in my opinion, is being honest with where you're at. So it's not mm-hmm. that jealousy doesn't come up for me at times. It does. And I'll say, hmm, I'm feeling jealous. 
And then once you are aware and you take responsibility for it by using some of the practices I talk about in the Awareness Explorers podcast, it doesn't stick. It doesn't metastasize into a whole big separation and problem. I feel it. Mm-hmm. It uh, It is something that um, you even can welcome so that it's not something you're resisting, and it kind of moves through me like Chinese food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're hungry for more in an hour? <laughs> Well, and then you're left with the background of love, which is, I think, ultimately who we are are, is loving awareness and um, getting steeped in that loving awareness allows you to not get quite so lost in the trials and tribulations of daily life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that. So uh, a lot of the the jealousy books and um, tools that you find don't include that spiritual element. Um, it's more about like searching into your story and your history and your upbringing and looking at your insecurity and asking for what you want. And those things are all important. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also having a, a spiritual practice can make everything else move along much faster. Um, so can you offer us one or two practices that people can do if they are experiencing jealousy um, to begin to tap into that um, infinite love background that you talk about? Sure. If people are open to it, I'll do one or two. Um, If they can close their eyes, they might even have an easier time with this. Uh, But one thing that you can do is imagine you have like a a foot-long eraser in one of your hands. And begin by imagining erasing your feet and then erasing erasing your lower legs, erasing your upper legs. You might feel tingling or you might feel nothing at all. Erasing your pelvis, letting any part of your body that's erased relax, your shoulders, your chest, your stomach. And maybe you feel like you're located in your head now. And even begin erasing your head or erasing any emotions that were there, whether it be jealousy or stress, uh, erasing your arms so that nothing's left. If you could erase your entire body and emotions, would you still be here? Well, something would. I call that something your awareness. The awareness that hears sounds in my voice that is just in this present moment, if you have thoughts that kind of obscure that or emotions that obscure it, see if you can erase those thoughts or emotions and just be precisely the watcher in this moment who is just fully experiencing the now moment with full openness and no judgment. So that's something that people can do to get out of their story and into the present moment. Mm, That was beautiful. Thank you. I felt that. And, you know, there's a lot of methods in the Awareness Explorers podcast. And the key really is to find the method that works for you. I'm I'm familiar with 191 methods that can be done in under three minutes. Mm 
And uh, sometimes the first 10 don't do it for you, but number 11 just uh, makes your head explode <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, but it really comes um, down to getting back into this non-judgmental, open, um, open nowness that is how we actually experience life until we get lost in thoughts and emotions. Mm-hmm. So we become more dog-like without all of the thoughts and judgments. <laughs> exactly. Although my dog can get jealous sometimes. Oh, yes, they they do sometimes if you play with another animal or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so you also have, your website is called Finding Happiness. Um, mm-hmm. So I know we've talked about some other techniques around communication and um, spiritual awareness. Um, but what are some happiness hacks you can share with us? Well, it ends up that they've done research on this, and the quickest way to boost your own happiness level, and I love this, is by doing an act of kindness for a stranger or a friend. So I do lots of acts of kindness, not because I'm the nicest guy in the world, but because I like being happy, and it makes me happy when I give somebody an unexpected gift or an unexpected appreciation or a shoulder rub or I have gifts I'm always giving people that, you know, people think I'm so nice. The gifts cost like a dollar, but, you know, people (laughs) don't do that and it really makes me feel good and it makes them feel good. So acts of kindness, when I asked the Dalai Lama what he thought was the most important thing one can do to further their spiritual growth, he said, kindness is my religion. I think the kinder you are, the more you will feel connected with your heart and that's what's really important. Yeah, we had those so bumper one, stickers 20 years ago that said perform random acts of kindness. What happened to those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that actually was started by a friend of mine. So, um, oh. you know, she really put in a bunch of effort, and, and hopefully it caught on, and hopefully people are doing that. Well, it really prevented me from cutting people off in traffic when I had one on my bumper. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, right, right. <laughs> it was a good reminder. <laughs> Right, and and I have heard that though that giving is really the key to happiness, and our culture is so much the opposite. It tells us that we have to uh, achieve and climb the ladder and do self care, and we get so absorbed in just taking care of ourselves and having this kind of radical individualism um, that I think our culture has lost that serving and unconditionally giving to others. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And the good news is that there's so little of that that when you do a small act of kindness or give somebody a gift or whatever, it stands out like you're you're the Dalai Lama now, you know. Yeah. It doesn't take much to to stand out that way. So, it's really sweet when when you can be the the giving force in any in any relationship. You know, another happiness mm-hmm. hack that I really like is um being uh, let's see, what's the best way of, of saying this? Uh, being in a place where you're able to be vulnerable and create a, a lack of, of pretense in a group. You know, because people want to be human. People want to be connected. And if you can 
be the seed for that, it feels really good. And people will gravitate towards you and, and everybody's a little bit happier because the amount of protection we have nowadays is, is, and stress just makes people miserable. We have the highest suicide rate of any country on earth and the highest rate of drug addiction. So we're obviously doing something wrong. Uh, so that's something that people can do. And the other thing which mm-hmm. I found really helpful is when you're in a happy moment with a person or an animal, just allow yourself to be there for a little bit longer. You know, it used to be I'd play mm-hmm. with my dogs and then I'd have a voice in my head that said, oh, you better get back to work. Well, you know, mm-hmm. why not spend another minute playing with them? I'm having a good time. They're having a good time. Uh, <laughs> what, what's the harm in spending another minute? I literally doubled my happiness by allowing myself when I find myself in a happy moment or an intimate moment to just kind of hang out there for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, have you ever thought about this? Why do you think it is that when there's a natural disaster that people become so much more communal and um, giving and kind to one another? I think um, it, it, pierces our normal veil of separateness and we realize that we're really we're one we're part of one human family and that gets hidden by the politics and by our busyness and uh all those things but when a disaster hits we realize we're all very vulnerable we're all part of this Mm -hmm. one human family and somehow we get over that separateness and we realize how good it feels to feel part of a loving family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We are very vulnerable. We're resilient and equally vulnerable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you mentioned that we have a very high rate of suicide, and I was just listening to a, an author talk about his book about the, the I generation, um, the uh-huh. younger people. Um, that have come after the millennials and that the suicide rate has gone up by 70% in girls and 25% Mm. in boys. And uh, the theory is that it's directly due to social media, that boys tend to be more into the video games and those haven't proven as harmful statistically as social media where the girls are constantly comparing themselves to other girls and other people's lives. And it seems like everyone else is having this great old time and being they're left out and all, all the craziness that comes from social media. So um, have you thought about or looked into the effects of social media on our happiness? Yeah. It ends up, you can draw a straight line between the amount of hours you spend on Facebook and how depressed you are in life. Mm. That's interesting. You know, a thousand Facebook friends does not equal one really good friend who's there <laughs> by your side. And so it's a problem because, you know, people are, uh, some people are addicted to heroin. Some people are addicted to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it definitely creates a, a problem. Um, I think the remedy is to feel more connected to each other. Um, I have a, uh, a, a thing um, on my website uh, called morelovelessconflict.com, uh, the 12 questions of instant intimacy. And I find mm. when people feel connected to each other by asking these questions or, or doing various methods that 
their depression or loneliness can instantly fade and that we need to have these better technologies for being connected nowadays. Mm-hmm. And that's on the uh, morelovelessconflict.com site? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can cool. download that for free. And it doesn't count if they ask the questions on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That would be an interesting study. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I like I think the way your mind works. Thing. <laughs> um, I think that was another thing on your list is overcoming depression. Do you have any other quick hacks for that? Well, the the thing that works the best, according to science, is getting your body moving. Uh, so mm-hmm. any type of exercise is useful. Um, also, things like doing acts of kindness uh, mm-hmm. and appreciation, that has a much bigger effect than antidepressants. Um, mm. So antidepressants really don't work very well, hardly at all, whereas exercise, mm-hmm. uh, acts of kindness, and then asking this question, what's something good that's happened to me today, and why? Mm-hmm. what about me made that happen? That is mm-hmm. 10 times more useful than antidepressants in curing depression, according to 53 studies. Mm, wow. And what about feeling um, part of a community, like feeling like you're important in community, because we are tribal beings? Absolutely. That's why, you know, communication or acts of kindness where you feel like you're, you're entering a community and you're connecting with them is so important. And that's why this loneliness epidemic that we have is, you know, very similar to the opioid epidemic or the depression epidemic. And we really need to find new ways of connecting quickly with each other, which is one of the reasons why I wrote the More Love, Less Conflict book is because I think if people knew really simple, powerful methods for doing that, then they wouldn't be so lonely and and they would uh, feel more connected to their friends or family or coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things they said about the I generation is that they aren't going out as much. They don't drive as much. They're safer than any generation ever because they're not out drinking. They're not getting in car accidents. They're not getting pregnant. They're just staying home looking at their screens. <laughs> so they're not out there face-to-face with people. It's pretty a pretty sad state of affairs. Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully your listeners know that, you know, the face-to-face contact or, or taking a chance and being vulnerable is really the key. Uh, you know, I used to be terribly depressed as a teenager, so I know – how to get out of it because I wasn't, you know, a, a happy guy for my first 15 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, but once you, you start a momentum of, of taking chances and communicating better, it's amazing how fast things can turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that about you, that you figure out ways to solve your problems. I read on one of your um, blogs or something about how, you had a lot of conflict in your marriage, and so you had to learn to solve that because it, you were very different people, and it wasn't naturally easy. Yeah, and uh, because we've worked things out, we have very deep roots now and a lot of trust between each other because 
we saw that time and time again when the going got tough that we were willing to stick it out and, and work things out with each other. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom and all of your generosity with sharing it with us today, Jonathan. I really enjoyed having you here. My pleasure. You're a really good interviewer, and uh, I appreciate our connection as well. Thank you so much. So I want you to take a couple minutes to tell people how they can reach you. I know you have a few websites, so what's the best way to reach you? And if there's um, any other things that you want to offer our listeners. Sure. Well, at the More Love, Less Conflict website, they can download the 12 questions of instant intimacy, and they can mm-hmm. read the first chapter of the book for free or buy the book. Cool. I do have a website FindingHappiness.com that also has all my other books and and some free downloads as well. And then there's okay. the Awareness Explorers podcast, which is available on Google Play or iTunes or at AwarenessExplorers.com. Fabulous. Okay, Jonathan, well, thanks again, and I hope to see you soon. I hope so, too. Thank you. Okay, good night. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Janelle Marie Pierce. Uh, One of the most common questions I get about polyamory, well, the most common is how do you handle jealousy? But the second most common is what do you do about STDs? And Janelle Marie Pierce is one of the premier experts on that topic. She has started multiple organizations. She has the latest Leading Edge research and information about how to stay safe from STDs and STIs. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. This has been your host, Sumati Sparks. Good night, everyone.